Good morning, everyone. And Merry Christmas. <clears throat> so glad that you have taken time to worship with us this morning. See some new faces. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are especially honored that you chose to be with us. For everybody joining online, we're glad that you are with us as well this morning. I'm excited to share with you all in the joy that we have this morning uh, in proclaiming a message to the world of the birth of a king. And not just any king, but our king. And so I hope that you will join with me this morning as we do that. I hope you got your Bibles handy. Uh, if you don't, uh, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me, and I encourage you to follow along. I want to start this morning in an unlikely place with a clicker that's not on. <clears throat> okay. That's a picture of my grandpa, Grandpa George. That's my dad's dad. He died when my dad was 16, and so I never had a chance to meet him. Uh, although I've inherited some really cool things from him, like his dog tags from when he served in World War II, uh, the watch that he wore while he was in service, uh, and then a collection of sermons that he had preached in Illinois back in, I think, probably the, the 50s. Um, even though I never met him, He's vitally important to me because he's part of my story. My story doesn't exist without him in it. And even though I never met him, he's had a tremendous impact on me because I have inherited his faith. And so you can't really tell the story of Jason without telling the story of this man. And the reason I bring that up is because we in the Western world today have a tendency of removing ourselves from our ancestry. If you're fortunate, you have relationships with your grandparents, or did have. If you're very fortunate, maybe you knew and had a relationship with your great-grandparents. But beyond that, we really don't know a lot and don't spend a lot of time talking about those people that came before us, who shaped who we are and who told our story. There's neat ways now available to us through technology to connect in all those ways. A lot of websites where you can you know, send in DNA tests and find out who your ancestors were. But it's not something we spend a lot of time thinking about. But in Jesus' world, those ancestors were supremely important to them. And so that's why when Luke begins telling the story of Jesus here in chapter 3, he goes through Jesus' genealogy and he says, if I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus, you need to know who came before him. Who was it that laid the foundation for who Jesus would be? And as you read through that genealogy, and let's be honest, most of us don't. We tend to skip over genealogies because they're not the most exciting parts of Scripture. But if you pay attention to who's in that genealogy in Luke chapter 3, someone very important pops up in that genealogy. And you get there and it says, the son of David, the son of Jesse. What David is that that he's referring to? Well, that's King David. That's David and Goliath, David. That's David, let me build you a temple, David. This is the David that Israel looked back on and said, that was the culmination of everything that we wanted to be as a people. This was, this was the king that we want again. This was the kingdom that we want again. And that David was part of Jesus' ancestry. And Luke is very careful to point that out. If you go back <clears throat> a chapter and we look at Luke chapter 1, Verses, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the passage that Austin read for us just a minute ago. Let me read it again. 
Luke here again is focusing on the fact that David was part of Jesus' ancestry, that Jesus descended from David. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And then this is what Luke points out. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end, we know all those details about Jesus' birth, but Luke is getting us to pay attention to one detail in particular. The fact that Jesus was descended from David. Now why? Why all this emphasis on Jesus' connection with David specifically? Well, if we go back one more chapter, we find our answer. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, as the angel is talking to Mary about what was going to happen to her and who this child was going to be that was going to be born to her, he says this, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. In other words, he's going to be what? A king. He's going to inherit the throne. He's going to inherit a kingdom. And this is what he says about his kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The reason Luke continually draws to our attention the connection between Jesus and David is because Jesus was the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to David. We find that promise here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as David desires to build a permanent temple, a structure for God to dwell in. God tells David, I'm going to build you a house. And following up with that, he says in verses 12 and 13, when your days are fulfilled, this is God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, after David was dead and gone, his son Solomon took over the throne. And Solomon, his immediate heir, did indeed build a house for God. It was Solomon that oversaw the construction of the temple. Solomon built a house for God, but one thing Solomon did not do was build a kingdom that was established forever. There was no permanency in Solomon's kingdom. Because not long after Solomon, what happened? The, the kingdom split. And eventually those two kingdoms came to an end as both of the, God, the halves of God's people were led off into captivity. And so part of that promise was fulfilled in Solomon, but God's people knew during the time of Jesus that part of that promise God had made to David had yet to be fulfilled. And so they were waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. They were expecting it to come to fruition. As they lived under the rule of Rome, they were waiting for God to send them an heir from the house of David who would build a kingdom for God's people that this time would last forever. And Luke is telling us clearly through Scripture that that king had come. He was born to Mary, and his name was Jesus. 
We're going to take a break in the lesson here for just a second and sing one more song. And I invite you to stand as we do that. The song is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's a song you know. I want you to think about the words as we sing this song. And I want you to think about what we are proclaiming through this song and what the implications of that message might be to the world around us. So let's stand and let's sing this song together. You guys have been so good and gracious to us over the last few months. I wanted to give back, and so what better gift than two sermons on Chris Day morning, right? You're welcome. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2, if you turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 2, thinking about the words of that song. Hark the herald angels sing. What was it the angels were proclaiming? Christ the newborn what? King, the kingship of this child that was to be born. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read this in Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, stop right there. Why is a king being born to Israel when they already have a king? And this sets up some tension in the story, doesn't it? They already have a king. The problem was Herod, that king, was not appointed by God. He was appointed by Rome. But God has a different king in mind. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews, and you can only imagine how those words rung in Herod's ears, right? Who are you talking about? I'm the king of the Jews. Who is this child that you're talking about? He says, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Who's shaking up the order of things here? Who would possibly be proclaiming kingship when Herod sat on the throne? And he had Rome's backing to boot. It says, In assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And they reference Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They were expecting the descendant of David to be born. And they were expecting that he would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, so he's going to turn them into his spies, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But worship is not what's on Herod's mind. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own, to their own country by another way. When you think about the message of Christmas, it's not about a cute little child being born in a manger. It's about a king being born into the world. It's about the fulfillment of promises God made to his people. And it's about all of the major implications that come along with that proclamation. The proclamation that a king is born unto us. And what we have to keep in mind is that when we proclaim kingship, to the world around us, that that is heard as a threat by those who stand in positions of power, by those 
who stand to lose those positions of power. And at the time, those were men like Herod. How can a king be born when I am king? And he was not going to give up his rule and his power and his authority. And so he tries to turn these men into spies, but instead they're warned not to go back to him. He finds out that they tricked him. He gets angry. And so do you remember what happens next? What what does King Herod do? He has all the baby boys, two years and under, in Jerusalem and all that, or excuse me, Bethlehem and all that area, murdered. That's how serious he is about protecting his claim to the throne. And what I want you to understand is that that part of the message of Christmas has never gone away. This is honestly my favorite time of year. I love it for all the reasons everyone loves it. I love the sparkle and the shine. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the Christmas music. I love to give and to receive presents. Who doesn't love all of those things? And it's amazing how popular Christmas has become because even the most secular among us celebrates with us today, except they leave out that proclamation of the kingship of Jesus. We watched a movie last night on Netflix, and it was kind of a reframing of the origin story of Christmas. And it was cute, it was well done, it was well acted. It was about a boy called Christmas, and this is how Christmas started, right? Conveniently left out of the whole narrative was a boy named Jesus. When you take Christ the King out of the narrative of Christmas, it might still be pretty, but it's no longer powerful. And what I'm here to proclaim to you this morning is not something pretty, it's something powerful, that a king was born unto us. And when we proclaim that message to the world around us, there are those who will oppose us. And there are those like Herod who will stop at nothing to take the king out of the story. We need to be prepared for that. In Acts chapter 4, something really amazing happens to the early church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are approaching the temple and they see a man who was lame from birth, can't walk. And he looks at them expecting for them to give him something. And Peter looks at him and he says, I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ arise and walk. And this man who's never walked in his life arises and he walks and he starts going through the temple. And people know him, they see him there every day begging alms and they can't believe what they're seeing. Peter then begins to preach outside the temple. And then we get to chapter 4, and it says this in chapter 4 and verse 1, As they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, listen to this, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. We proclaim good news, but not everyone here is good news. Some people are greatly annoyed when we proclaim the message of the king. And those who were in positions of authority in Jerusalem were annoyed that these uneducated men were proclaiming a message that they had not approved of. They were proclaiming the resurrection of the very man that they had put to death. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Read the men who were in charge, okay? And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Referencing back to the healing of the man born lame. How did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the King of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Well, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? Okay, so we are in charge, and yet they're defying our authority. How are we going to put an end to it? What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't just lie and say they didn't perform the miracle. We saw it. Everyone else saw it. We know what they did. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. And this is the whole crux of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You've got people in positions of authority. They have not approved of the message. And so their answer is, we're just going to tell them, hey, we're in charge. You're not. Stop doing this. This is how Peter and the rest of the apostles respond. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't stop talking about this man. And you can't stop us from talking about this man. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The message of Jesus the King is a threat to everyone who holds positions of power in this world unless they are willing to relinquish that power at the foot of his throne. And not many people are. And these Jewish authorities certainly were not. And these uneducated common men were a threat, even to men in the highest positions of authority, because no threat was going to stop them from proclaiming what they knew to be true, that Jesus was the anointed one they had been waiting for. But then something else amazing happens. They go back to the church, and they start to tell the gathered church, you won't believe what happened to us today. And then they pray to God for something specific. You know what they prayed for? Not protection. That's what we would pray for, I think. Please protect us from these men. They didn't pray for protection. They pr prayed for boldness. God, grant us boldness. And then in the prayer, they reference the second psalm. This is what they do. In God's prayer, they reference Psalm 2. And I want you to turn over there with me, if you would, to the second psalm. Why in the world would these Christians, these early followers of Jesus, upon receiving opposition to their message for the first time, why would they reference Psalm 2? Listen to what it says. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They're speaking to the reality of Psalm 2, which is that the world will always stand in opposition to the true king. 
the anointed one of God. Anointed is where we get the word Messiah. It's where we get the word Christ. It's who we know Jesus to be. The true and rightful heir of the throne of David. The anointed one. The king. And those apostles are looking back at Psalm 2 and they're recognizing that what's happening to us is what has always happened in a world opposed to the kingship and rulership of God the Father. That when you proclaim him as king, the world stands in opposition. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. My prayer for us today is that we will rekindle a boldness within ourselves and that we might be filled with boldness from the Father so that we can be like those early disciples in Jerusalem that when the world tells us, stop telling us this, we won't stop. There's nothing that can stop us from proclaiming to the world around us Jesus as King. And that's what we gather here to do this morning. Christmas is beautiful, but it's not the tinsel of Christmas that gives it its power. It's the crowned king of Israel that gives it its power. And it's that message that we proclaim to the world today when we gather and celebrate the birth of the king. But what good is a message to a world that another king is coming? Lots of kings have come and lots of kings have gone. And most of the kings just compound the world's problems. There's good kings, there's bad kings, there's terrible kings, and there's every kind of king in between. What good is it to a world to say, well, another king is coming? Is he just going to add to all of the problems and misery that the world suffer from? But Jesus is a different kind of king, isn't he? We talked about it the last couple weeks. And I would remind you of Luke 2 and verse 11. For unto you this day in the city of David, a king is born, yes, but what kind of king? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. We proclaim good news to the world today. They might not hear it as good news, but it is good news because the king that was born some 2,000 years ago is the king the world needed. It's the king the world continues to need today. A king who came not to add to the world's problems, but to save us from all of the problems that sin has introduced into this world. And it's that king that we stand here to worship today. Adults, you remember the anticipation of Christmas Eve? Do you remember how hard it was to find sleep on that night? Excited about what you would wake up and find the next morning? I can remember. <clears throat> I can remember one Christmas in particular. We traveled to Florida to be with my grandma. And when you're a kid in Wisconsin, going to Florida over Christmas is pretty awesome, let me tell you. And I can remember I got put in one of her guest rooms. And I don't remember how old I was, I think maybe 11 or 12. I just remember that that was the time when the whole world was crazy about sports cards. I don't know if some of you guys remember that 
time period, right? When sports cards, collectible sports cards were like the rage. There were sports card memorabilia shows all over the place. There were uh, shops on every corner. Everybody was obsessed with it. We couldn't wait for the next uh, Beckett collector issue to come out so we could look and see what our cards were worth. I, I just remember that. And I remember being so excited because I had been begging my parents for like a calendar year for certain cards. And I couldn't wait to wake up Christmas morning to see if they were there or not. And if I close my eyes, I can still picture every piece of furniture in my grandma's spare bedroom because I didn't sleep at all the entire night. I just sat there blinking, and she had one of those clocks that ticks really loud and chimes every hour. I can picture all of it, right? All those years ago, it's still seared in my brain because it took forever. I was so filled with anticipation for that morning. I hope that for those of us who proclaim the birth of the king, that we are filled with that same kind of anticipation. Because we know that the king came. We know that the king conquered. And we know also that he's coming back to take us home. And so this morning, I hope you're filled with that kind of anticipation, longing for and hastening the day of his return when the king comes in all victory, to take us home victorious with him once again. Merry Christmas, everyone. And I hope that your day is filled with wonderful memories. I hope you get to enjoy the nostalgia of the whole thing. I hope that God blesses you and your family. And I hope more than anything you'll take time today to realize the power that lies in the proclamation of the birth of our King. And with that, the lesson is yours. Joy to the world.